A Journal of the Plague Year, being observations or memorials of the most remarkable occurrences, as well public as private, which happened in London during the last great visitation in 1665, written by a citizen who continued all the while in London, never made public before. Episode 14 This episode contains one of the better-known anecdotes to emerge from the novel and offers a rare moment of gallows humor amidst the unrelenting horror. The story of the piper was evidently widely known at the time of the visitation itself, for the author remarks on its being a story, quote, with which the people made themselves so merry, unquote. He also mentions use of what must have been a popular preventative measure, the holding of garlic and rue in one's mouth, and the liberal use of vinegar. I'll leave the details to you. In the second part of this episode, the author touches upon a theme all too familiar to us today, the general lack of preparedness of both the citizenry and the authorities for situations of this sort, their slowness to respond to this calamity. Recall also his remarks in a previous episode about the so-called supine negligence of the people themselves. Outbreaks of the plague, you'll remember, were not new to London. The previous one had occurred only a decade before, and the failure to plan for another was as hard for the author to understand then as our own lack of planning and slowness to respond, despite plenty of advance warning, is now. The episode ends with an account of instances of private charity and the distribution of money to the poor and unemployed, a kind of stimulus package we also know about. This brings these two men to a further remembrance. The name of one was John Hayward, who was at that time under-sexton of the parish of St. Stephen, Coleman Street. By under-sexton was understood at that time gravedigger and bearer of the dead. This man carried, or assisted to carry, all the dead to their graves, which were buried in that large parish, and who were carried in form, and after that form of burying was stopped, went with the dead cart and the bell to fetch the dead bodies from the houses where they lay, and fetch many of them out of the chambers and houses, for the parish was, and is still, remarkable particularly, above all the parishes in London, for a great number of alleys and thoroughfares, very long, into which no carts could come, and where they were obliged to go and fetch the bodies a very long way, which alleys now remain to witness it, such as White's Alley, Cross Key Court, Swan Alley, Bell Alley, White Horse Alley, and many more. Here they went with a kind of hand-barrow and laid the dead bodies on it and carried them out to the carts, which work he performed and never had the distemper at all, but lived about twenty years after it and was sexton of the parish to the time of his death. His wife at the same time was a nurse to infected people and tended many that died in the parish, being for her honesty recommended by the parish officers, yet she never was infected either. He never used any preservative against the infection, other than holding garlic and rue in his mouth and smoking tobacco. This I also had from his own mouth, 
and his wife's remedy was washing her head in vinegar and sprinkling her head clothes so with vinegar as to keep them always moist, and if the smell of any of those she waited on was more than ordinary offensive, she snuffed vinegar up her nose and sprinkled vinegar upon her head clothes and held a handkerchief wetted with vinegar to her mouth. It must be confessed that though the plague was chiefly among the poor, yet were the poor the most venturous and fearless of it, and went about their employment with a sort of brutal courage, as I must call it, for it was founded neither on religion nor prudence. Scarce did they use any caution, but ran into any business which they could get employment in, though it was the most hazardous. Such was that of tending the sick, watching houses shut up, carrying infected persons to the pest-house, and, which was still worse, carrying the dead away to their graves. It was under this John Hayward's care, and within his bounds, that the story of the piper, with which people have made themselves so merry, happened, and he assured me it was true. It is said that it was a blind piper, but, as John told me, the fellow was not blind, but an ignorant, weak, poor man, and usually walked his rounds around ten o'clock at night, and went piping along from door to door and the people usually took him in at public houses where they knew him, and would give him drink and victuals, and sometimes farthings. And he in return would pipe and sing and talk simply, which diverted the people, and thus he lived. It was but a very bad time for this diversion while things were as I have told, yet the poor fellow went about as usual, and was almost starved, and when anybody asked him how he did, he would answer, The dead cart had not taken him yet, but that they had promised to call for him next week. It happened one night that this poor fellow, whether somebody had given him too much drink or no, John Hayward said he had not drank in his house, but that they had given him a little more victuals than ordinary at a public house in Coleman Street, and the poor fellow, having not usually had a bellyful for perhaps not a good while, was laid all along the top of a bulk or stall and fast asleep, at a door in the street near London Wall, near Cripplegate, and that upon the same bulk or stall, the people of some house, in the alley of which the house was a corner, hearing a bell which they always rang before the cart came, had laid a body really dead of the plague just by him, thinking, too, that this poor fellow had been a dead body, as the other was, and laid there by some of the neighbors. Accordingly, when John Hayward, with his bell and the cart, came along, Finding two dead bodies lie upon the stall, they took him up with the instrument they used and threw them into the cart, and all this while the piper slept soundly. From hence they passed along and took in other dead bodies, till, as honest John Hayward told me, they almost buried him alive in the cart, yet all this while he slept soundly. At length the cart came to a place where the bodies were to be thrown into the ground, which, as I do remember, was at Mount Mill, and as the cart usually stopped some time before they were ready to shoot out the melancholy load they had in it, as soon as the cart stopped, the fellow awaked and struggled a little to get his head out from among the dead bodies, when, raising himself up in the cart, he called out, Hey! Where am I? This frighted the fellow that attended about the work, but after some pause John Hayward, recovering himself, said, Lord, bless us, there's somebody in the cart not quite dead. So another called to him and said, Who are you? The fellow answered, I'm the poor piper. Where am I? Where are you? Says Hayward. Why, you're in the dead cart. 
and we are going to bury you. But I ain't dead, though, am I? says the piper, which made them laugh a little, as John said, though they were heartily frightened at first. So they helped the poor fellow down, and he went about his business. I know the story goes he set up his pipes in the cart and frighted the bearers and others so that they ran away, but John Hayward did not tell the story so, nor say anything of his piping at all, but that he was a poor piper, and that he was carried away as above I am fully satisfied of the truth of. It is to be noted here that the dead carts in the city were not confined to particular parishes, but one cart went through several parishes, according as the number of dead presented. Nor were they tied to carry the dead to their respective parishes, but many of the dead taken up in the city were carried to the burying ground in the outparts for want of room. I have already mentioned the surprise that this judgment was at first among the people. I must be allowed to give some of my observations on the more serious and religious part. Surely never city, at least of this bulk and magnitude, was taken in a condition so perfectly unprepared for such a dreadful visitation, whether I am to speak of the civil preparations or religious. They were, indeed, as if they had had no warning, no expectation, no apprehensions, and consequently the least provision imaginable was made for it in a public way. For example, the Lord Mayor and Sheriffs had made no provision as magistrates for the regulations which were to be observed. They had gone into no measures for relief of the poor. The citizens had no public magazines or storehouses for corn or meal for the subsistence of the poor, which, if they had provided themselves, as in such cases is done abroad, many miserable families who were now reduced to the utmost distress would have been relieved, and that in a better manner than now could be done. The stock of the city's money I can say but little to. The Chamber of London was said to be exceedingly rich, and it may be concluded that they were so, by the vast amount of money issued from thence in the rebuilding the public edifices after the fire of London, and in building new works, such as, for the first part, the Guild Hall, Blackwell Hall, part of Leiden Hall, half the Exchange, the Session House, the Compter, the prisons of Ludgate, Newgate, etc., several of the wharfs and stairs and landing places on the river all of which were either burned down or damaged by the great fire of London the next year after the plague, and of the second sort, the monument, fleet ditch and its bridges, and the hospital of Bethlehem or Bedlam, and so forth. But possibly the managers of the city's credit at that time made more conscience of breaking in upon the orphans' money to show charity to the distressed citizens than the managers in the following years did to beautify the city and re-edify the buildings though, in the first case, the losers would have thought their fortunes better bestowed, and the public faith of the city have been less subjected to scandal and reproach. It must be acknowledged that the absent citizens, who, though they were fled for safety into the country, were yet greatly interested in the welfare of those whom they left behind, forgot not to contribute liberally to the relief of the poor, and large sums were also collected among trading towns in the remotest parts of England, and, as I have heard also, the nobility and the gentry in all parts of England took the deplorable condition of the city into their consideration, and sent up large sums of money in charity to the Lord Mayor and magistrates for the relief of the poor. The king also, 
as I was told, ordered a thousand pounds a week to be distributed in four parts, one quarter to the city and liberty of Westminster, one quarter or part among the inhabitants of the Southwark side of the water, one quarter to the liberty and part within the city, exclusive of the city within the walls, and one-fourth part to the suburbs in the county of Middlesex and the east and north parts of the city. But this latter I only speak of as a report. Certain it is, the greatest part of the poor, or families who formerly lived by their labor, or by retail trade, lived now on charity, and had there not been prodigious sums of money given by charitable, well-minded Christians for the support of such, the city could never have subsisted. There were, no question, accounts kept of their charity, and of the just distribution of it by the magistrates. But as such multitudes of those very officers died, through whose hands it was distributed, and also that, as I've been told, most of the accounts of those things were lost in the great fire which happened in the very next year, and which burnt even the Chamberlain's office and many of their papers, so I could never come at the particular account which I used great endeavors to have seen. It may, however, be a direction in case of the approach of a like visitation, which God keep the city from, I say. It may be of use to observe that by the care of the Lord Mayor and Aldermen at that time, in distributing weekly great sums of money for relief of the poor, a multitude of people who would otherwise have perished were relieved and their lives preserved.